Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, April 21st. Normally on today's podcast, we're joined by one of the guys from My Tennis HQ to break down another Technique Tuesday. Unfortunately, due to some scheduling issues, we had to push that to Wednesday this week. Hopefully, you listeners will be all right with that. Rest assured, we will be talking Technique. I think I'll give you a little tease. We're going to be talking Serve and Volleying with Austin Rapp later tonight on the show, and you will be able to listen to that tomorrow. But a little bit of a different Tuesday podcast today. There are a bunch bunch of storylines that we were monitoring from the weekend. I talked about a lot of them on yesterday's podcast. I want to give you guys an update on some of those stories and then some of the new stories that emerged. So we'll keep today's mini break on the briefer end. I will say from the get-go, if you're starving for more tennis content, rest assured we at Crack Rackets are not slacking. We're still doing our jobs. In fact, we have our newest episode of Overserved on our YouTube channel ready to be seen another week of of comedy from the professional tennis tour. You don't want to miss any of that. And it's a good 10, 11, 12 minutes of laughter. Super producer Daniel Westoff killing it as he always does. So be sure to go check that out on our YouTube channel. You'll also find our newest episode of CR Classics, our look at some of the best matches in tennis's history. This week, we talked about one from 2001, a match I had never seen in full before. And I did know, I think, who was going to win the match before going into it, but it was still surprising to me. I got to feel the ebbs and flows of emotion that come with a live tennis match, and that was thrilling. And of course, I am joined by Gil Gross, host of the Monday Match Analysis. You may know his work also uh, from his time with the Syracuse Athletic Department, a big tennis fan, certainly. I also went on his show this past weekend to talk 09 Delpo Federer U.S. Open final. Uh, So we've got two, I suppose, CR Classics for you, if that's what you're interested in. But be sure, of course, to go watch watch RCR Classic on our YouTube channel. And of course, if you want to hear that in podcast form, you can hear that on the GSP uh, podcast feed as well. Cracked interviews wise, our podcast uh, keeps rocking and rolling. We've got a bunch in the queue right now, so I'm trying not to release the names we haven't yet. But thus far, the podcast you are able to listen to last week, we had Amy Frazier, who obviously put together a 20-year professional tennis career to do that, you know, requires not just a bunch of talent, but a bunch of hard work as well. So if you haven't, go check that podcast out. We also on Thursday got the chance to chat with Mitchell Kruger uh, for a really candid conversation about, you know, his thoughts on the way the ATP and WTA tours have handled the coronavirus, the communication between the upper rungs of the game, and all of the other players who participate in it. It's a fascinating conversation, of course. We have a bunch of fun on there as well. We talk tactics with Mitchell, talk about his game, why 
why he's improved, uh, why he thinks he's taken a jump as of late, the reasons behind his strong start to 2020. All, again, a fantastic interview. Uh, I feel like I can say this now. Mitchell, known to be a shy guy, and we got him out of his shell for this podcast. It was really fun to hear him, again, be candid, be funny and just you know engaging it was a really great conversation so I think you'll enjoy both of those cracked interviews from last week if you haven't listened to them yet and of course so many other great interviews on that cracked interviews podcast feed as well so be sure to go check all of that out if you've missed anything you can find all of our content on our website crackedrackets.com as well Before I get into today's news, I also have to remind you all that these podcasts are made possible day in, day out by our friends at Diadem Sports. And if you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it each and every day, and I mean it every time. Diadem is helping tennis players across the globe elevate their game by designing the most innovative performance tennis gear on the planet. I can only wish I had their Elevate 98 racket in our club tennis final back in 2017. It probably would have helped me get over the double fault gear. Uh, you know, gips that I had, I just, or yips, I suppose, is the better word. And if I had the right racket that was crafted for my specific uh, type of playing style, and, you know, for me, I command, I like to think I command a little power and explosiveness. I think Max Rothman would vehemently disagree. He'd say I'm more of a man of precision and control. And to be honest, yes, I'm very controlling and I'm very precise. So that actually is probably a little bit more accurate. If I had that Elevate 98, I know Rothman and I, yeah, we won as a team, but him and I lost that final match. Our first loss as seniors, I don't still hold it uh, with me. It's not something I think about ever. Come on, guys. I never bring it up on this podcast. The point being, I know I would have played better had I had a diadem racket, and you can have one as well. You can also get to use you know, one of their five sets of different strings, all meant, again, to accentuate your game depending on your playing style. They've got hoodies. They've got premier tennis balls, drawstring bags, and more. Your one-stop shop for all of your tennis needs. So go to their website, diademsports.com. Use our promo code CR50. You'll get 50% off your order. Not only are you going to be able to procure everything you need on their website, all of your tennis needs will be fulfilled, but you can save a little money in your pocket as well by using that promo code CR50. Again, our friends at Diadem Sports, so supportive of us, the least we can do is ask you listeners to go support them as well. So, diademsports.com, use that promo code CR50, 50% off all of your tennis equipment needs. Now, Let's get into the news. And I talked about this a little bit on yesterday's podcast, but it was the big story of the day. There's no denying that, uh, you know, the comments made penetrated not just tennis media, but mainstream media as well. It was covered on ESPN. It was covered across multiple uh, different news outlets. And that, of course, is the comments Novak Djokovic made while on a Zoom stream with his fellow Serbian tennis players, saying that he would be opposed to being vaccinated if that was required to uh, for the ATP tournament uh, for when the ATP tour resumes, if they require every player to be vaccinated. And for obvious reasons, that comment caused a stir to hear someone of Novak's level, uh, Novak's, I suppose, esteem, his celebrity, his clout might have been the word I was looking for. Uh, to say something that publicly, particularly in Serbia, not only in, you know, in America is Novak Djokovic crazy famous, crazy influential. No, of course not. But in Serbia, he's probably the most famous athlete, one of the 
biggest cultural icons the country has. And so, you know, his comment causes stern. Just a reminder what he said. He said, personally, I am opposed to vaccination and I wouldn't be want to be forced by someone to take a vaccine in order to be able to travel. But if it becomes compulsory, what will happen? I will have to make a decision. I have my own thoughts about the matter and whether those thoughts will change at some point, I don't know. Now, uh, you know, again, I, I gave the background for this yesterday. I think more than anything else, it's the time period we're living, uh, living in. It's just tone deaf. Uh, everyone has seen their lives impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. We're all self-quarantining. So many people have lost jobs or just, you know, lost loved ones as well uh, in, during this during this crisis. And for Djokovic to take this stance, particularly when we're all looking for some way to be to go back to our normal lives, what is going to what needs to happen from society? What do we need to advance, you know, medically to be able to be at that point? And a vaccination is certainly on the top of that list. And you know, even getting back to having tennis play, getting the tour back to normal—that is far from the top concern on anyone's mind right now. But getting everyone vaccinated, finding a cure for this so that no one has to worry moving forward. That, of course, is right at the top of everyone's mind. And so it was just tone deaf. Now, I said yesterday I would be shocked if we didn't get a statement from Djokovic, from his management team uh, by the end of the day. And we did. And it was through Christopher Clary at the New York Times. And again, I hate stepping on his articles. I feel like I've been doing it so much recently. Please, please, please subscribe to journalism. Subscribe to the New York Times. They do so much great work. I'm actually recording a podcast later today with New York Times writer Ben Rothenberg that you can all expect in the upcoming weeks, another edition of CR Classic. Uh, so obviously I think my fandom of the New York Times is well well cl- uh, made clear at this point. But from Djokovic's team on Monday, and again, he declined to address whether he opposes vaccine in general. He focused his opposition on the issue of a COVID-19 vaccination, which has not yet been developed and would be necessary for travel. He made it clear that he was intent on exploring options other than vaccination, but he did not rule out accepting one if necessary. Here is the statement, quote, I am no expert, but I do want to have an option to choose what's best for my body. I'm keeping an open mind and I'll continue to research on this topic because it is important and it will affect us all. To be honest, just like the rest of the world, I'm a bit confused. Despite having access to information and resources, I am left in doubt about what could be the best thing to do. And look, I I think that was always the thing to be most clear about is that, I, in general, it, do I think Novak Djokovic is anti-science? No. But he's clearly suspect about, you know, a a vaccination that no one knows what its effects would be on your body, what its long-term effects, how it's going to affect him as an athlete. And, of course, his body is how he makes his money. It's the source of his livelihood and because he is a professional athlete. And there is a grain of truth, and I emphasize that, a grain of truth to wanting to study the science for himself, to being skeptical about something until he can actually see the effects Of course, again, I'm the son of a doctor. I am pro-vaccination. I trust the medical community. I want to make that as abundantly clear as possible. I just think Novak Djokovic, given his, I guess, well, here's the thing. So you start to look further, and 
you know, Christopher Clary goes on and he talks about some of the other things uh, that Djokovic, you know, has been a proponent of in his life. And he's been a proponent of natural healing. He was deeply resistant to undergoing surgery on his injured right elbow in 2018 before finally doing that. And, you know, he, he continued to say in his statement, I am curious about well-being and how we can empower our metabolism to be in the best shape to defend against imposters like COVID-19. And, you know, for him, I, I guess the biggest thing is uh, you do should keep in mind him and his family, they've donated $1.1 million to help Serbian authorities purchase respirators and other medical equipment. Djokovic has been on the forefront, and he's obviously on the ATP Player Council, but to trying to find a solution to ensure that players in this time, in this crisis, have some sort of, uh, you know, resources to turn to, some sort of a bank, uh, you know, just a, some way to keep their livelihood, some sort of income, whatever it may be. He's doing his best, but I think Tumaini Cariel in the garden, and you guys know whenever Tumaini writes anything, I'm going to read it. I'll lay out the case for why these comments uh, raise, you know, skepticism and raise why people begin to question, is Novak Djokovic anti-science? Because you talk about some of the other things, again, that in his life he has you know, live by philosophies, things that he said. And, you know, for him, it's things that, uh, yeah, you, you start with a gluten-free and no, that's very basic. But, you know, for him, he calls telekinesis and tele telepathy gifts from this higher order, the source, the God, whatever, that allows us to understand the higher power and the higher order in ourselves. Uh, he hired a coach once who probably taught him about telepathy and levitation and whose techniques ex include extremely long hugs. Uh, again, in terms of moving forward, at the beginning of April, his wife Yelena spread a video, you know, on social media with a debunked theory linking 5G technology to the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, and so, you know, these anti-vaccination comments unfortunately fit into a pattern. That's Tumaini's argument. And again, he goes on to say he's not someone who's 100%, you know, proposed, saying, hey, reject science, don't do any of these things. But, you know, he's one of the most famous people in Serbia and opposing vaccinations, in Tumaini's uh, opinion, and I agree with him, carries an even greater danger. And so, Look, you know, he's a guy who, again, believes in alternative medicines, believes in holistic treatments. He said after getting surgery, he awoke and said, every time I thought about what I did, I had felt like I had failed myself. And that's a bold thing to say about a surgery. To require surgery means you failed yourself. That speaks to some of his larger thoughts, but... I mean, look, this is not what we want to be talking about. We want to be talking about tennis, obviously, and I just did eight minutes on the topic, and so that speaks to how, you know, this is, what else are we talking about right now? That I think that's part of the reasons why these comments get so much attention. And again, getting back to what I said at the beginning, it was just the tone-deaf nature of these comments. This is not the discussion we should be having, especially in a time of a global health crisis, uh, you know, to deny science, to deny doctors, to be skeptical of them. Uh, you know, there's sure there's something to having a healthy dose of skepticism in everything you do in life. But, you know, he is not a doctor. He is not a medical profession professional. We need to trust our medical professionals if we want to get through this. And I think that's the theme. It was just disappointing to to have this be a storyline at a time like now when so many of us are worried about the ongoing health crisis. So I think we've hit on that enough. That's the thoughts. I'm sure there will continue to be more discussion about his comments moving forward because, again, 
that's what a lot of us are doing right now. Um, but to get to the next story, something, again, we touched on yesterday. We talked about Rafael Nadal opening up his academy. We talked about Patrick Mortelou opening up, I think, launching his new uh, tennis series and uh, professional events. It's, what, 10 matches a weekend for five weekends in a row. He wants it to be something that can compete, not with the ATP Tour, but certainly sustain even when the ATP Tour is going on. We talked about Germany getting ready to launch exhibition matches, if possible. So we see little you know, little signs that tennis might be returning sometime soon and little uh, pieces of evidence that if possible, if the public can get going, there are various countries and various tennis federations that are trying to get professional sports and professional tennis going as well. And you can throw Great Britain into the list of countries attempting to do just that. Uh, Led by Jamie Murray, the British Tennis Federation, British tennis players are hoping to put in place an event that would replicate the season-ending ATP Finals with the top eight British male players competing in a round-robin format of two groups. To maintain distancing in the present climate, players could potentially call their own lines and in the absence of an umpire, uh, or in the absence of an umpire, and pick up balls, they would say no spectators would be allowed. Uh, Look, that's cool. These are the sort of events, we've said it from the get-go, now is a time for tennis to get creative. All of these tennis federations, if you've had an idea in the queue, now's the time to put it, pull it out. And of course, safety, health comes first. We don't want to be doing any of these things unless we know the players, the volunteers, the facilities, everyone involved, the people working at the facilities will stay safe and healthy through the event. Uh, but it's something, you know, to note that they're they are getting creative there. And of course, um, you know, we've, we all hear different things going on through all of these different countries that is you know throw great britain on the list also throw india on the list as i read today in the khalil j college college times excuse me if i butcher that pronunciation that the aita plans a domestic circuit for struggling players the apex body said it had come up with an intermediate plan to support the country's government to reduce some of the pain for the lower-level professionals. India plans to launch a domestic tennis circuit from July to support its players who are struggling financially during the sports shutdown. Due to the novel coronavirus outbreak, the country's tennis body said on Saturday, uh, they said the AITA said it had come up with an intermediate plan with the support of the country's government to reduce some of the pain. Uh, They're currently in lockdown, but they say this circuit will be aimed at benefiting our tennis players across the country since the pandemic has adversely affected their livelihood as well as their overall training and preparedness. It shall have the objective of helping them be sharp, fit, competitive, and match-ready without any major financial burden. Uh, And look, again, it's all these governing bodies stepping up. That's good news for tennis. It speaks to the fact that there's no unifying body, unifying plan across all these different federations, and we've discussed that topic at length. But, you know, this is good. And the IATA says they propose to start tournaments for all age groups. These will initially, in July and August, be restricted to state-level tournaments, keeping in mind the need for restricting travel. It shall subsequently graduate into zonal and national tournaments in September, October, and November once the travel restrictions and social distancing norms are further eased. So, again, two more federations 
you know, the LTA and the AITA both making moves and trying to prepare for a world where there's some semblance of normalcy. Still no fans, but, you know, a semblance of return to action. And obviously, you know, this is great news for all of the players out there who are, you know, they can't teach tennis. They can't use their best skills to earn an income for themselves. And for the top 50, maybe even the top 100, they may have uh, the financial uh, their financial situations may be able to sustain you know they might be able to sustain themselves for a little bit longer but the further down the rankings you go the less financial stability there is and you know players have been very candid in this time period about the difficulties for the lowest ranked players out there we've talked about that at length as well we talk about that with Mitchell Kruger in the cracked interviews podcast we do with him so by the way go check that out if you haven't yet uh, if I didn't pitch you strong enough in the intro um but you know John Millman in uh, Australian Yahoo Sports uh did an interview today I believe with Darren Walton uh, this may be actually for, with the Australian uh, with the Australian Associated Press, excuse me, where he talked about the the gap between he calls it tennis's haves and have-nots, declaring tour battlers are better off financially on the government government's meaning Australia's JobKeeper program than playing. And look, he Millman says the initiative by Djokovic, Nadal, Federer to support lower-ranked players. It's only come during the coronavirus crisis, and he's saying he's pleading to end the pay disparity between the top of the game and the lower-rung players permanently, using this moment as a, as a chance to address the larger crises that are confronting tennis, not just the immediate crisis. And his fellow Australian player, Chris O'Connell, announced earlier this month he was going to uh, register for the equivalent of unemployment in Australia, claiming that the weekly 750 allowance would be more financially attractive to him than trying to play tennis right now would be. And Millman said, I don't think that's far-fetched at all. There would definitely be players making more money in this time now by not playing, and players who are not necessarily struggling struggling in terms of their ability either. It's not a secret, and I've made it pretty clear that I think the tennis pay distribution has always been a bit warped. And, you know, he goes on and on. He says... Um, you know, it's ludicrous that someone like O'Connell only earned 72000 last year, the most global of all individual sports. He talks about how other players make, you know, significantly more money uh, comparatively in other leagues if they are a similar ranked player to O'Connell. And again, for Chris O'Connell, who was, I think, 116 in the world, he's saying the 116 in baseball or the 116 in basketball, whatever, is making more. And he says... For the standard of tennis that's out there and for the amount of countries that play competitively and for how big the product of tennis is, because it is a big product, especially globally, the fact that 100 people in the world make money, it's a bit laughable, to be honest. And look, I mean, again, the pay disparity is something we have covered at length here, but he says, if the concern is to help players rank 250 to 700 in the world, why has it taken a global pandemic to realize this? You know, Millman estimated he wouldn't be making any money on a season if he only made $200,000. And I know what you think to yourself, $200,000 is a ton of money. I think we can all agree on that. But, you know, he says there's something the uh, public isn't privy to. They don't quite get the 
the, that we are, meaning players, paying for everything. With, that, with a coach, travel, hotels, it's all off your back. You're paying for all of your expenses as a tennis player. Once you're outside the top 100, start looking at the prize money and then start adding up what's involved to live for that year on tour and what's involved to invest in yourself as a product. You start to realize how little money you're making. And I apologize to you, Darren Walton, for stepping on your story, stealing all of your quotes again. Please go read that at au.sports.yahoo.com, the, t- the article, Tennis Pro is Better on JobKeeper, uh, according to John Millman. And it's, again, it speaks to the financial uh, issues right now facing the tour and that even when coronavirus goes away, uh, those financial issues, the disparity aren't going anywhere. So, you know, again, it's just something we will continue to monitor here at Cracked Rackets. Another great piece that came out uh, in the sports uh businessdaily.com. I believe it was Brett McCormick who wrote about, uh, again, more of the financial struggles facing tennis. And I'm not going to step entirely on his article that's called Pandemic Puts Some Tennis Events on Shaky Ground. But the outline, and he had participation from UTR president and Worcester from people like Bill Oaks and Bob Moran, Donald Dell, Chris uh, Vidmeyer, Eddie Gonzalez, and Look, he says there are 35 events that have been canceled thus far on in the ATP and WTA tours, and without knowing the exact financial commitments of the Labor Cup and the two slams, these 35 events represent around uh, around $200 million in total financial commitment that players will potentially miss out on. I don't need to tell you that $200 million is a big m- number and that you know all of these players are going to feel the effect of financially of this season. And of course, that's something, again, we will continue to be monitoring here at Cracked Rackets. And, you know, it's scary because we you, all of these dates are in flux. That's the worst part of all of this. It's the uncertainty. I could tell you tennis is going to come back on July 13th. I could tell you it's not. But, you know, I have no credibility, no standing as a medical expert, truth be told. So I'd be lying if I tried to guess. I think everyone right now would be lying if they tried to guess. And, you know, what is concerning why I continue to think it's less and less likely that a sport like tennis, which is so internationally based, at least the ATP and WTA tours in particular, uh, are going to come back this season because if any, if there's any hot zone and any player uh, is from that hot zone of the world still, I don't know how you can play. And the Tiburon Challenger, which is scheduled for September 28th to October 4th, keep in mind how far away that is. They made the decision to cancel this year as well for you know the health of players, fans, tournament volunteers, and staff. They're canceling the event, and it's this far in advance. I think that speaks to the uncertainty all of us uh, are facing right now. So, you know, that's another news. Again, last thing on the I suppose sadder note, Nicolas Jerry, you, who we all know, the young, uh, I believe Chilean player who had made it up into the top 50, was currently ranked 89th. He was suspended earlier this year for 11 months for a doping violation for anabolic agents that the ITF determined were inadvertent. Um, you know, he challenged that suspension. He wanted to say, no, this was an accident. I took a supplement. I didn't know about all of these different things. Uh, and it ended up being that, you know, the ITF confirms that the ruling and the timing of the suspension and that it, it's going to be in effect because, you know, the ITF confirms that the ruling and timing of the suspension will not be adjusted because of the suspension of the tennis calendar. Uh, his suspension is through November 15th, 2020, and it's going to apply. And look, Nicholas Jerry accepted the suspension. He said, and this is a quote, um, you know, he says today, uh, 
happy and with a clear conscience, I tell you that we were able to prove in the investigation carried out by the ITF that the prohibited substances identified in the test were originated in the Brazilian laboratory, which cross-contaminated my vitamins. Along with this, with great humility, I have accepted the 11th-month sanction offered by the ITF, which will make me eligible to compete in November. Extending these legal processes would only add more stress and uncertainty to my professional future. He goes on to say how he has always tried to be professional, always, you know, he tried to confirm with his doctor he was doing the right thing, and he says, unfortunately, this was not enough, and I've put my health and my professional career at risk. For this reason, I am left with a very important lesson I will carry with me for the rest of my career. I know that this is my professional responsibility to ensure that everything I consume cannot contain even the slightest uh, contamination. He says it's been months of pains, and while he thinks things are unfair, he's trying to learn from the situation and come back stronger from the experience. Uh, He thanks all of the people who have continued to support him, the Olympic Chilean Committee, his ATP Tour colleagues who have not hesitated to show him support, Uh, and he says it has helped him continue to cope with the... uh, the situation, but he is accepting his 11th month suspension, and that will go again through uh, November of this year. So that's all the, I suppose, less enjoyable news. The couple of other things, and then we'll wrap today's show. If later today you want to learn how former student athletes successfully translated their sporting successes into a career and who have hired former college tennis players, uh, join the ITA as they're having one of their Zoom-type uh, calls, another, I suppose, online panel uh, a seminar, online seminar, is that the term? We'll go with that term uh, amongst I, the alumni ITA, amongst all of these different people. And it'll be Mike Bryan, it'll be Kate McKinney, it'll be Dave Mullins, a really cool uh, group of people. And again, there's going to be more uh, than just that. There'll be college tennis alums on there talking about their perfect experiences. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, be sure to go sign up for that because that will be very cool as well. What else do I have for you? Um, I mean, is it? do I have right to... Okay, it's time to get to the fun stuff. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that was everything. Uh, we had another Instagram affair yesterday. Rafael Nadal taking over the live Instagram chat market, I suppose, is the way we will frame it. He brought on uh, Roger Federer, Andy Murray, I believe Mark Lopez, but... He was struggling at first. He could not figure out how to work Instagram Live. He was struggling to bring on guests, struggling to figure out just what everything was doing. I think he was overwhelmed by trying to respond to all of the comments and balance the technology as well. At one point, Andy Murray messaged in, this guy can win French 52 French Opens but not work Instagram. And then, of course, we had this fantastic moment between Federer and Nadal once Federer, Federer finally got himself logged in into the Instagram chat. Westoff, roll the clip. Uh, finally. Are we in? <laughs> Did we make it? <laughs> finally. My God. Oh, I don't know if it was you or me. <laughs> See, I, I think after this, and I know he's in sticky water, but I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed the Murray Djokovic conversation more than I've enjoyed Federer Nadal. I'm Team Murkovic, and that may not surprise anyone, but that's my stance for now, and I'm going to stick with it. But that was a really fun thing, and again, it's the little joy seeing all of these players take uh, action, get on social media, take control of the narrative, engage with all of the tennis fans out there. It's been an absolute treat, and hopefully we get more and more of this as we continue through quarantine because it really is... It's just not only an excellent exercise, but uh, you know, for it's just fun to consume as fans, and not only news making, as opposed to what I was going to say, but it's just enjoyable overall. So that's the news uh, from another busy 
Monday on tour. Again, there's so many storylines for us to follow. Try and do that. Keep you all up to date each and every day on the mini break. As I mentioned, Technique Tuesday moved to Wednesday this week due to scheduling issues. That is our apologies. But of course, we look forward to bringing the My Tennis HQ guys on tomorrow. Again, I think it's going to be Austin Rapp and the mechanics of serving and volleying. So be on the lookout for that. I'll say once again, if you've missed any of our content, our CR classics, our uh, overserved, uh, our video looking at all the comedy that happens on tour week in, week out. Go check out our YouTube channel. Go check out our website, crackedrackets.com, where you can find all of that. This podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. We are always so appreciative whenever any of you guys leave comments. It means the world to us, and we continue to appreciate all of the support you guys give us. Not only, you know, just it, it means the world, especially at a time like right now, to know that so many of you are listening. And, you know, for us, if we can provide any of you again, with just a momentary break from the daily stresses of life, give you guys a distraction and you can dive into the tennis universe with us, then we know we're doing our job here at Cracked Rackets. And the men who always do their jobs, super producers Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do as they do week in, week out. We are always keeping them busy, so shout out to them as well. Shout out to our friends at Diadem Sports. Go to their website, diademsports.com. Use the promo code CR50. You'll get 50% off all of your tennis purchasing needs. Also, shout out to our friends at Aerobar, the only tennis-specific energy bar out there. You use our promo code CRACKED30. You'll get the supply of energy bars you need all for 30% off, so go support them as well. But with that being said, for super producers Daniel Westoff and Max Fliegner, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Druskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com.